How many plural wives is enough? Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? In January, we received an email with a suggestion for future shows, and today's discussion is the second show on the topic. We will share the email with you now. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time now. Thank you for everything you're doing. Something came to me, and I think this is what would help the members of the LDS community be deeply touched by all the stories of former LDS polygamists. It would be to tell the stories of the polygamist wives of Brigham Young and all the LDS old polygamists and the pain and suffering these families endured. Because the LDS Church has rejected the fundamental polygamy groups, members have a hard time to sympathize with them. They are very judgmental, but if we are not told the horror stories of their ancestors that they keep dear to their heart, maybe something is going to click. Anyway, just a thought. And we thought it was a good thought. (laughs) In fact, last time, well, it's been a few weeks since we've done the first show on that, the first installment (laughs) on Brigham Young's wives. And so this is part two of his plural wives. However, we want to mention again that some of his wives there is very little information on. Mm. And so we're, we, you know, of course, won't be able to give a lot of information if it's not available or if I can't find mm. where it's at. And of course, I don't go to the History mag- you know, Museum and all that and get information either. I'm unable to do that. In, in part one, we discussed the first four plural wives and possibly a fifth who was a slave or a servant to his wife, Lucy Decker. So we're going to begin today with his next wife, uh, generally reported to be his fifth plural wife. But first we have a quote from Daryl Brigham. (laughs) (laughs) From the Journal of Discourses. The only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Others attain unto a glory and may even be permitted to come into the presence of the Father and the Son, but they cannot reign in, as kings in glory <clears throat> because they had blessings offered unto them and they refused to accept them. So he's stated polygamy <laughs> is necessity if you want to go and Sounds be like with, with God in heaven. Now, early Mormonism pushed polygamy on the Mormon population. It wasn't merely a choice or a calling, as some of them say that it was, but it was preached as a requirement uh, for any outstanding or upstanding Mormon man or woman if they wanted to go to celestial heaven and if they wanted to be obedient to God. So they were taught they were required to live the doctrine of the plurality of wives. Today we start with his fifth plural wife. She was Emily Dow Partridge. She was 20 years old, and he was 43 when they got married. He was 23 years older. Common theme, isn't it? Pretty common, yeah. Uh, Well, even older than that, even the age difference bigger than that in those times. But um, strangely, she had been one of Joseph Smith's plural widows, we quote. In the fall, probably November 1844, Emily was sealed by proxy to Joseph Smith for eternity and to Brigham Young for time. That's strange. When the Nauvoo Temple was completed, the ceremony was repeated, a sealing to Joseph Smith for eternity and a sealing to Brigham Young for mortality. On January 14, 1846, with Heber C. Kimball officiating, Emily's first child by Young, Edward Partridge Young, was born October 30, 1845, but died on November 26, 1852. Well, times were tough in those days, and that little boy would have only been about seven years old when he died. Um, And after Joseph Smith was killed, Brigham took Emily 
to be his wife for time only. Now, he took eight of Joseph Smith's plural widows for himself. Uh, the early Mormon men often took widows uh, for plural wives. It's called the Law of Proxy. Mm. I don't know if your Mormon Sunday School manual taught, manual taught about Not that. Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but it's in the early Mormon teachings. They would be married for time only, but their religion taught that she would be sealed eternally to her first husband, and any children that she and her proxy husband had would belong to the first husband in eternity. Oh. So that's kind of a dirty deal for the second husband. Yeah. But then a lot of it is. On the screen, we have a picture of Emily and two of her children. She and Brigham had seven children altogether. Emily seems to have had warm feelings for Brigham Young, at least at some point. On June 30th of 1850, she wrote a letter to him, and this is part of what she said. She said, My ever-beloved friend and benefactor, you may think my affections are entirely placed upon Joseph Smith, but there you are mistaken. True, I love him, but no more than yourself. Hmm. So, that's so probably the only feelings. love letter I've ever read that went <laughs> to, to Brigham, Brigham Young. <laughs> <laughs> but with or without love, her marriage to Brigham brought her no economic security. In April of 1874, the city gave her the choice, and that would be Salt Lake City. Yeah gave her the choice of having a man come and volunteer his time and labor to dig a water ditch for her. Or she could pay the city 75 cents to do it. This is what she wrote. I had better pay it, and I do not think the president's men will help me in that. They know very well that he wishes me to take care of myself, and I do not know why he does not tell me himself. I almost wish he would, although it would be very hard on me. It would be preferable to be told uh, to being told of it so much by others. At the year's end, she lamented being too exhausted to finish a batch of washing. There seems to be no way for me but work. Um, still, when Brigham Young died in 1877, she wrote, "I believe President Young has done his whole duty towards Joseph Smith's family." That's sad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's just got that sad undertone uh, about it. But obviously, in reading this, they didn't consider that the husband's whole duty consisted of financial support. He wouldn't even pay 75 cents or allow somebody to, or <laughs> to he, he wouldn't pay her 75 cents to get the ditch dug or allow her to accept voluntary help. Uh, they didn't give physical support, emotional uplifting, or loving their wives like Jesus Christ loves the church. Most Mormon polygamists today do not consider it their duty to support their wives and children, and that's true in many of the polygamy groups. Yeah, we've heard that many times, haven't we? Mm -hmm, many yeah. times. Um, after uh, Emily traveled to Salt Lake City with the Pioneer Wagon Train, she lived with Brigham's harem in the Lion House for a while, and then later she moved to a farm that produced food for the residents of the Lion House, which probably well, put a lot of burden on her, yeah. a lot of work on her. But after Brigham's death, uh, she lived in various places and died in 1899 at the age of 75. Wow. I thought that was interesting because my grandmother was born a year later in 1900. Really? So it's really not that far removed, is it? No, Just not your grandmother. You, my grandmother. Wow, yeah. yeah. Uh, we quote from church, uh, the church history essays about her life before she died. Emily died December 9, 1899 at 75, hopeful for a joyful reunion with Joseph Smith in the bonds of celestial marriage. Life for her was hard, but she persevered. 
1884, while the federal raid was driving Mormons onto the underground and jailing them, Emily wrote a spunky statement that could stand as her epitaph. For my part, I am not ashamed of my religion. Neither am I ashamed of my name, nor would I even be if it was. Emily, Dow, Partridge, Smith, Young, etc. It's interesting that she adds Smith and Young on the end yes, of it, because obviously her name that she's not ashamed of didn't include those two last names, mm. Smith and Young. Yeah. But she says she wouldn't be ashamed to be called that either. There's much more to Emily's story about being a plural wife of Joseph Smith, but this is good information about her life as a plural wife of Brigham Young. Their polygamous lives were filled with sadness and poverty and loneliness almost to the point of abandonment for some of them from these experiences, and they are not exceptions. We can know that God never ordained or commanded polygamy or that a, a man should treat his wife and children the way most of them have been and are being treated now in Mormon polygamy. Brigham Young was not always shy about talking about his own polygamy and plural wives. He was closed-mouthed about it if the situation seemed it was necessary, but other times he was quite vocal about the multitude of women he accumulated. In case some pride there. <laughs> yeah, in some uh, in, in case some folks are not aware of it, Brigham Young was the governor of the yeah. state of Utah even while he was president of the Mormon Church. Uh, quite great conflict of interest there, but there you are. We have a quote. Yeah, this is from the essential Brigham Young. Some try to say how many wives the governor of Utah has, but if they can tell, they can tell more than I can, for I do not know how many I have. I have not counted them up for many years. I do not know how I do not know how many I had before I left the United States. I had so many. I heard that I had 90. Why bless your souls, 90 is not a beginning. You might just ask, you might ask me if I ever have seen them all. I answer no. I see a few of them I pick up myself here, and I have lots and scores I have never seen, nor shall, shall not until the morning of the resurrection. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of an interesting comment he would make there. A lot of love there. A lot of love, love and care and concern, man, isn't man it? Man and wife, yeah. Uh, we also want to share the emotional status of plural wives in those early Mormon days. We find that they were not the peaceful, loving homes of which they are often characterized as having been. So we quote a statement by Brigham Young again concerning the attitudes of his plural wives. A few years ago, one of my wives, when talking about wives leaving their husbands, said, I wish my husband's wives would leave him, every soul of them except myself. That is the way they all feel, more or less at times, both old and young. So, that, so he was aware of that. He was <laughs> aware. He didn't care. He no. didn't see much to care, did he, no. it seems. Uh, now, the, the sixth plural wife of Brigham Young was Clarissa Ross. It was her first marriage. She was 30 years old when they got married, and Brigham was 43. So that's a little better as far as the age uh, span goes. But they had one son and four daughters, but some accounts that I found listed that she only had four children. There seems to be very little historical information available about Clarissa. She was born in New York and became a Mormon in the early days of the church and moved to Nauvoo. Mm -hmm. And she married Brigham Young and came to Salt Lake Valley in 1844. She was, they said, of medium height with dark hair and dark brown eyes and was very devoted to her children. But she was not allowed to enjoy them very long because she passed away at age 44. Oh, my gosh. And I can find no um, information or suggested known cause of her death. Oh, I so I don't know, died. but that was awfully young. 
So we go to the seventh plural wife of Brigham Young, who was Louisa Beeman. She was 29, and he was 43 when they married. Louisa had also been the plural wife of Joseph Smith. And she first met Joseph in 1834 when she was 19 years old. Her family uh, were converts to the Mormon church. And after her father died, Louisa lived with her sister, Mary, and Mary's husband, Joseph Noble. Now, Joseph Smith recognized an opportunity when he saw one. In fact, sometimes he created the opportunities. But he taught Joseph Noble, his brother-in-law, well, her brother-in-law, about plural marriage and then asked him to help arrange a plural marriage between himself and And Louisa, Louisa. uh, who was his sister-in-law. So we quote, (laughs) Smith told him in revealing this to you, I have placed my life in your hands. Therefore, do not in an evil hour betray me to my enemies. Of course, there's a Joseph Smith talking. Mm -hmm. And in April 1841, Louisa became one of Joseph Smith's early plural wives. Two years before Smith claimed to have received the revelation on plural marriage from God. Louise's marriage to Smith is notable because she was married to him outdoors in public, but was disguised as a man during the ceremony. Strange, huh? Mm. Joseph Smith and Louisa spent the night of their wedding in Noble's home, and Noble declared under oath that Joseph Smith followed his encouragement that they blow out the lights and get into bed and you will be safe there. <laughs> Which shows that they did spend the night, spend together, the night together in the same bed. Of course, bed. they wouldn't have done anything. But of course not. No. Okay. <laughs> now, I thought it was interesting that she dressed, dressed up as, as a, a man, man. To, in and, the ceremony. So and in public. And in public. But is it any better for Joseph Smith to have married a man? man. <laughs> I mean, I don't... Uh, well, whatever. But it was it was a secret. The, the wedding was secret. And an interesting tidbit about this is that Louisa had married Joseph Smith a couple of years before she was even baptized into the church. Wow. So what would happen, a question, what would happen today if a Mormon man tried to marry an unbaptized fiancé or take her to the temple? Now, Joseph Smith and others, of course, did a lot of things in those days that would not be tolerated in today's LDS church. After Joseph Smith was killed, Louisa was married in a proxy ceremony to Brigham Young, and she followed him west to Utah. We read this from In Sacred Loneliness. She then left Nauvoo with the main body of the Mormons, beginning her long journey to Utah and a new chapter in her life. The secret experimental polygamy of Nauvoo would be replaced by the practical, open polygamy of a larger frontier family. By the time Young left Nauvoo, he had married some 41 women. Most importantly, Louisa exchanged the childless years of her early life for the joys and sorrows of motherhood. Okay, so... When they got to Utah, they practiced polygamy openly, sure. but they didn't, they didn't preach it as doctrine until 1852. Mm. And then in a general conference, uh, Orson Pratt was the one who gave the sermon that made it public. Let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> of course, it was in Utah when they got here. It was, was, it was only a United States territory. It was, right. Well, actually, it was Mexican territory well, for a while. Well, said earlier and that then, they'd left the United States. Right. But, yeah. um, but Utah, of course, became part of the that became part of the United States territory and then a state. Right. In 1848, Louisa gave birth to her first children and they were twin boys. She named them Joseph and Hiram, but both children died. Mm. And then in 1850, she gave birth to twin boys again. 
and she named them Alva and Alma, and they also died in infancy. She had a total of five children with Brigham Young, and all of them died before Louisa herself passed away. Sad. Her life as a pioneer Mormon polygamist wife was not sacred, secret, peaceful, loving, or holy, as today's romantic Mormons seem to think original polygamy was. She had written a letter to Marinda Hyde. This is part of what she said. I am led to think at times that there is not much else but sorrow and affliction in this world for me. The next day after I arrived in the valley, my babies were both taken sick with the bowel complaint. Now she's referring to her second set of twin boys. And not long after that letter, they both died from that sickness. Mm. She died May 15th of 1850 at the age of 35 years old. She had breast cancer. uh, And that which there would have been no treatment you know, there would not have been, of course, the medical no. technology we have today. It must have been a terrible, no. terrible disease for her. Pain medications mm. and stuff. Yeah. Early Mormons revered her because she had been Joseph Smith's first pearl wife. And so they named Fort Louisa, uh, which is near Parowan, Utah, mm. after her in her honor. She had been in close friendship with elite women of Utah in those days. Among them would have been Zena Huntington and Eliza Snow and Patty Sessions. Of course, some of these women had also been Joseph Smith's plural wives, but now belonged to Brigham. So it was just a big family. Well, group, I guess. Yeah. Mormon historian Todd Compton writes this about Louise's life. Her marriage to Smith's successor, of course, that's Brigham Young, introduces us to practical polygamy, practiced openly with wives bearing children, living together and accompanying the husband to social events. Though Louisa's married life with Brigham was short, we still see in it an an important phenomenon, the occasional visits with the husband and the companionship of sister wives. Now, he wrote this to be general, and he is generous in, in the way he talks about polygamy, Todd Compton is, but it kind of bothered me the way he, he put this, because in marriage, the companionship should not be merely occasional visits. With the husband. With the husband, nor should it be companionship with the sister wives instead of her husband. Now, these plural wives or widows of Joseph Smith married their second husband, Brigham, for time, but remained eternally married to Joseph Smith, at least that's what they believe. It's not true. Certainly isn't (laughs) biblical, but that is what they believe. So being married to Brigham Young for time should mean exactly that, for time, (laughs) which means why didn't these men spend some time (laughs) with their plural wives? You know, not just enough time to get them pregnant. And why shouldn't his resources be equally distributed to supply the needs of all his families, something that most polygamous families just don't do? Very few of them experience that. Mm. So the second president of the Mormon church, Brigham Young, is considered as having been a prophet of God. Let's take a look at a prophecy that he made from which we can determine if he was a genuine prophet or a false prophet. This is from the Desert News in 1866. President Brigham Young responded to a question which was frequently asked. Do you think that we shall ever be admitted as a state into the union without denying the principle of polygamy? If we are not admitted until then, we shall never be admitted. The church has never and certainly will never renounce this doctrine. The revelations on plural marriage is still an integral part of LDS scripture 
and always will be. Whoops. So <laughs> it is a whoops, isn't it? Yeah. So we're going to look at this and and determine if it's a true prophecy by the prophet of the church or not. Wow. Now, first of all, his answer here is partially correct, but mostly wrong. <laughs> the correct part is that the plural marriage revelation will always be an integral part of the LDS revelation yeah. or scripture. True. Uh, and of course, that's section 132. But the incorrect parts of his prophecy is, first of all, section 132 is the alleged revelation given to Joseph Smith, but the LDS Church has changed it to mean monogamy uh, with the couple being sealed in the LDS temple. So section 132 is still in their scripture, but they have redefined celestial marriage from polygamy to monogamy. But since Brigham Young used the word polygamy in his revelation, his prophecy is false. Yep. Now, the next incorrect part of this prophecy is that he said Utah would never be admitted to the United States if they were required to deny polygamy in order to become a state. Yep. Now, a true prophet of God would never have said that because that is not what happened. It wasn't true. Time is the enemy of every false prophet. And as time went by, polygamy was denied by the LDS Church. It was acknowledged as being illegal. Polygamy was prohibited. And by 1904, all LDS members who dared to practice polygamy and were found out were excommunicated. He was a false prophet. Yeah. That didn't happen. Well, the manifesto came out in 1890, and then in 1896, Utah became a state. Right, so right. It was after, it was after. they quit, supposedly quit uh, polygamy. Right, but they didn't quit. And see, somebody no, could come in and quit. say Brigham Young's prophecy was correct because they didn't quit. They just practiced it secretly. No four. But they, by 1904... They did. Yeah. They, 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 it was acknowledged as illegal. It was prohibited. And now they excommunicate. And they did. From yeah. 1904 forward, they excommunicated people yeah. who became polygamists. A lot of Mormons will leave the LDS Church and join polygamy groups because they read their history and find out, I don't get to go to Mormon heaven if I'm not a polygamist. So That's they'll join Brigham the polygamy Young group. That's what he taught. Yeah. Exactly. But... Brigham Young was a false prophet. Just on this one prophecy alone, we can determine that because God has given us the guidelines of how to test for a false prophet. Yeah, we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 through 22. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. And so <laughs> what Brigham Young said did not come true. It's That's very right. clear, very That's clear right. here how to test a prophet. You know, I was thinking as, as I was going through this, it would be interesting, but it'd be a huge task. But it'd be very interesting to have a list of every single false prophecy that's been made by every Mormon church leader since Joseph Smith forward to today, every church president, every leader of every polygamy group as well, because they make prophecies too. Sure. I mean, Warren Jeffs, what do you have, a book this thick with <laughs> yeah, his prophecies to the nations or whatever? Yeah. And, and they haven't come true, but it'd be interesting to see that list of how many mm. false prophecies they've made, and there has yeah. been a uh. bundle of them. 
Uh, so this ends part two of um, the series on Brigham Young's wives. And we've presented now seven of his plural wives so far. He is said to have had 56, but he claims that he had 90 or more at one point. <laughs> Sounds like he, well, he didn't have any ideas, so he... And of course, some women, <laughs> some women were just sealed to a period and, you know, didn't really... Right. It wasn't amongst the the group that lived with him as wives like the 56 did, evidently. Mm. Uh, but we do have several more, of course, to equal this 56 wives in future programs. Again, some of them don't really have a whole bunch of information. Some of them have a lot of information. Now, we're well aware that very few of our viewers who embrace Mormonism or polygamy is going to take the time or the trouble to do their own research uh, to find out the truth about early so Mormon true. polygamy and polygamists. Most of them will walk away mumbling, well, you know, that we don't know what we're talking about or that we're just spinning the interpretation of the reference passages. But we don't spin. Instead, every single passage in the Bible that deals with polygamy and of which we often refer or to or have quoted, has been noted. We've studied it. We've prayed over it. We've gathered various opinions from biblical scholars and Bible language scholars. And we've done deep word studies. We've studied the cultures of the relevant times of each incident of polygamy in the Bible. And we've studied what God said and what God didn't say about polygamy. And there's no doubt God instituted monogamy, and he hasn't changed that. Mm -hmm. God nor his decrees change, right? That's right. Yeah, in the Book of Mormon? Never change. Right. So, <laughs> well, thanks, Earl. I you appreciate bet. your input with this, and it's interesting uh, to go through these and it really present is. them to, to the think, people. <laughs> to think that they uh, thought that polygamy was such an important, and no Jesus in their mm -mm, polygamy no Jesus. at all. It's, no uh, Jesus. Yeah. Nope. You know, Christianity alone credits the believer's faith as righteousness to him. Now, faith is central to all religions, but they always add works to their requirements for eternal life. And their faith is based on what their human leaders teach rather than relying upon God's own testimony. But biblical Christianity demands that we follow no man. We follow Jesus Christ, who is our God and Savior. We trust Him alone for our eternal life. And we can trust Him because our God and Savior gave Himself as a sacrifice and paid the price for our sins. Our faith in Jesus is credited to us as righteousness. And by that we are saved because the focus of our faith is God alone. Genesis fifteen six teaches that Abraham believed God and that belief or that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So in order to do the works of Abraham, you need to believe God and no one else and nothing else. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.